Welcome to MarketScale Software and Electronics. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have an opportunity to have a conversation with the co-CEO for Cryptoconomy, Mark Kalabian. Mark, how are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. Now, I have to say that phrase, Cryptoconomy, that name, it could be so many different things. Yeah. We could be talking about mausoleums. We could be talking about, you know, uh, spy encryption. But <laughs> I have a feeling that we're talking about cryptocurrency. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Why is cryptocurrency so interesting to you? Yeah, you know, a lot of people, they hear the word cryptic uh, within crypto. And that's, you know, really not what it is necessarily. Uh, my journey, I guess, started more back in nice. 2013, 2012, I really started getting into Bitcoin. I mean, I was, uh, I bought some at $7 way back when, uh, only about a hundred bucks worth. So it wasn't really anything at the time. Uh, and then I had, you know, accounts in Mt. Gox and I was trading fairly regularly. Um, and I guess that's sort of how I got first introduced to crypto. And as that articulated itself into entrepreneurship, I went into several other ventures. Uh, I started a company called Tudor where we worked with online education um, companies. And we had essentially our own Uber for tutors. Uh, and that was our first company. We raised, you know, $150,000 for that my sophomore year of college and uh, we got entrepreneur of the year. So that sort of wet my taste buds for the entrepreneurial lifestyle. And uh, after that, I moved to Copenhagen for a little bit. I met a lot of interesting crypto guys in Europe. I think one interesting part about crypto is the sort of diaspora that occurred where everyone is all over the place now. You have people uh, in Gibraltar, which is just, you know, a rock in the Mediterranean. It was nothing before cryptocurrency. And now it's a, a hub of crypto just because of the regulations. So you see a lot of people all around the world and I've met a lot of them and all of them seem to be equally excited about this. And these are all really great people, very interesting people from all walks of life. And we've talked on our podcast to many of those people. Uh, and they all seem to come to the same conclusion that this is something that's important. And the reason why that this is still around is because a lot of people seem to agree. And that's, I guess, you know, we can get into the Mount Gox stuff a little bit. I think one real deciding factor for me when I realized crypto was here to stay was during Mount Gox. You know, I had money in Mount Gox. I was watching it out of nowhere. There was a, a website. Uh, a web notification that said, you know, you can no longer access this website. Essentially, uh, your money's being held for a few weeks and people started freaking out. You know, the price went down to $200 a coin on Mt. Gox. Uh, I was bold enough to buy more at that point. Not my smartest decision. <laughs> but, um, you know, seeing how the community pulled together after that was really inspirational to me because you had all these companies coming out of the woodwork, having these essentially summits to come together, figure out how to make sure people weren't losing all of their money and their life savings. And you saw the people in Japan waiting outside the Mt. Gox office because, you know, their retirement was in crypto and God knows what that retirement would be worth now. So, you know, you had a lot of people who were very ingrained in the culture and the community and felt very passionately about it. And so when I got the opportunity to move more so into it, uh, I definitely leapt at it. And I tried to take what I saw as the main problem of crypto, which is the gap between crypto and consumer, because you have this dichotomy between the financiers and the techies who are, you know, sort of at odds right now deciding, you know, is it a currency? Are we going to move it into the financial sector? Is Goldman Sachs going to buy up some exchanges and make it more like a stock or an equity and add options? Or are you going to have the tech side, take it in more of the blockchain direction, figure out 
the best applications for distributed networks, distributed apps. And you have the two intersecting, but personally, I love the intersection of the two. You know, there's a, there's another interesting sort of contrast with regards to cryptocurrencies, and that is while it offers what I feel to be a very intuitive and intellectual approach to decentralization from mining and investing and monetization, that's wonderful, but there's a lot of fear that comes along with that. You know, you have to weigh that fear versus the promise and the optimism. Tell me a little bit about how you are approaching one of those, the fear, so that you can strengthen the other one, the hope. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's a lot of fear because whenever you're putting your money on the line and that's, you know, your life savings or your, uh, in any case, it's hard earned money. Uh, there's going to be a lot of risk involved, especially in this industry. So I never recommend, you know, people throw their life savings into it. It's volatile, of course. Um, but you do have to weigh that with the overarching idea, which I find very, uh, very enticing, which is these distributed systems of people who can work together in such a way that it makes life better for everyone because you're making things more efficient across the board. So if you have, and, and one interesting part is the access to capital markets that a lot of people have never had. So, you know, before the Regulation A filings, there were really there was really no opportunity for people making under, you know, with under a million dollars in assets and 250K a year to get involved with cryptocurrency or get involved with any company in early stages. And if you look at the income disparity in the country, most of it really has to do with people's access to investments. So if you're just living paycheck to paycheck, your money's getting eaten away by inflation, you know, you're never really going to get outside that cycle of poverty. And I think that's a huge problem here, but also around the world with unstable regional governments. Uh, and so I think really the hope comes from the fact that you can operate outside the scope of a lot of these organizations, governments, and people can just transact amongst themselves. I think that's something new. That's something people are still playing with. You saw this with the dark net, and that's one of the major uh, contributors to the rise of crypto. That's one reason I always felt certain cryptos were fairly safe because there's always going to be a market for the black market. And they found a way to do it almost in a safer way. In a lot of cases, you know, people weren't meeting in alleys, they were getting it shipped to their mailboxes. And that to me was an interesting, I guess, case study in the economics of what crypto can do to really any industry. Uh, and, and I think we're seeing that slowly matriculate into various industries. But a lot of the problem, I think, is understanding. People don't know what it is, and people have a hard time coming to terms with that, especially when they're thinking about investing. So if something sounds too good to be true, a lot of people, when they're looking at crypto, think, well, I'm just not smart enough to understand how it works. Um, and so what we've tried to do is bridge that gap and say, you know, we do understand how this stuff works for the most part, I would hope so. And we're going to try and bring people on, you know, especially to our podcast, uh, so that other people can hear directly from the founders of some of these companies what they feel, um, what they feel like they're doing, uh, how they're solving a problem. So essentially, giving a pitch to the audience, but in a long form uh, manner. So you know, an hour, two hours, and I think that's really helpful to people who don't really have any where to start when they first look at these companies. You know, when you think about investing, the spectrum. Uh, of opportunities and options is ridiculous. And I know you take a special interest and a very keen interest in increasing accessibility 
to investing specifically in cryptocurrency for for those who might not be as technical or who aren't maybe extremely financially educated you know they're not reading the wall street journal from front to back every single day <laughs> yeah. and i know you take that very seriously yeah, you know, I use the quintessential case study uh, as uh, for my mother, who is, you know, she's an investor. Um, we actually put in the bulk of our money in 2007 into the markets. Those financial advisors uh, did not see it coming, lost us a lot of money. And since, you know, they've made something like 10% in 10 years, you know, and that to me was so crazy because I could hop on my phone and make 10% in two days. And I was like, what are these guys doing? Uh, and so you start to realize that more people can have access to these tools because at the end of the day, the financial advisors go to my uncle's company, get an algorithm from them that takes the best, you know, profit and risk ratios, manages them into a basket for people uh, and just throws their money in there. And they have a few guys checking in on companies and paying attention. But really, this is something everyone could have all the time. And crypto is a great way to do that because you can operate within these ecosystems, uh, and make a lot of money. So one of the things we're trying to do is do things like copy trading. So if you don't know how to invest, then copy someone's trades who does. And that single person could eventually act like a hedge fund on his own. So if you're a good trader, you don't need to go knock on Goldman Sachs door. You can just keep on doing what you're doing and help other people in the process. And I'm hoping through things like automated lending and other processes, people will start to realize that they can put their money to work even when it's just sitting around instead of giving it to a bank who essentially earns interest on it while they quote unquote, keep it safe. But, you know, aren't many bank robbers getting away with uh, <laughs> with bank robberies anymore. So really, they're just real estate companies with, you know, these giant offices on every block. And if you think about it, if you removed the necessity of all those companies, all that money is going to matriculate back into the, the consumer. Now, as cryptocurrency moves more and more to, I don't want to call it the mainstream, but it moves into general consciousness. More people are aware of it. Are there some specific challenges that you have seen emerging over the last year or so that are sort of barriers to entry that you really want to address? So there, I guess it's really, really the main problem that I've seen is people just getting scared away by the fact that they've seen how much money some people have lost. They've heard things. Um, but a lot of people I've talked to really haven't looked much into it. So once you start to explain it to them, uh, and you do so in a way that's not the technical jargon that's just meant to confuse people, uh, they start to come around. And so one of the things we're trying to do is lower the barriers to entry in the sense that you can more easily liquidate or uh, reverse whatever investments you're making. So one of the ways we're doing that is with consumer facing miners. So by decentralizing mining, which is one part of crypto that I think a lot of people don't understand is incredibly important. The miners have a lot of power that at the end of the day, they choose which networks live and die. Uh, and you have all most of the mining power concentrated within a few key players uh, and, you know, really 50 or so operations that pretty much decide where things go. Uh, and that's why you've seen a lot of worry about the price of Bitcoin dropping to a point where it's no longer profitable for miners. Uh, one thing we're trying to do is get these miners packaged up. And one thing is they're really difficult to set up. You need a team, you need a space for servers. Um, typically you want it in a cool place, but we can decentralize mining by offering fully contained units to consumers that are packaged with the mining pool, with the option to mine 
any of the coins that aren't yet on exchanges. So you can get in at sort of the penny stock stage without actually paying any money um, and have it, you know, controlled with an app and all that good stuff. So we're trying to decentralize mining in that way. And the great thing about mining is at the end of the day, you're buying computers or computer processing hardware that you can easily sell to people who want to build a PC, a uh, gaming PC or a VR, uh, VR rig or any of those other things. So it's much easier to liquidate than simply sitting on the coins and hoping they don't go to zero. One of the major pain points that I'm sure you deal with is that there is a distinct dichotomy between domestic and international companies, their mindsets or their feelings about cryptocurrency. Talk to me a little bit about having to juggle not only the, the social issues, but the national issues that come along with taking this approach towards cryptocurrency that you have. Yeah. I mean, so I, I was working at the White House earlier uh, in the spring and I was, you know, hoping that I could be the guy that would bring uh, crypto up to Trump and tell him, you know, look at all these problems you can fix. Just throw a throw most of your social security benefits in there for the next year and then have the have the uh, government announce that you're switching over to Ethereum for all payments and you could just push a button and send those all out instantaneously and the price would probably jump, you know, tenfold just on that announcement and you could fund your programs for 10 years. Um, so there are a lot of interesting things you can do and especially with things like voting, you know, Russia's implementing blockchain voting. So I think it is worrisome certainly that the US doesn't seem to be paying as much attention uh, to what's happening and they aren't becoming competitive globally and you see a lot of the countries you know we've been actively sort of recruited i guess by countries like switzerland and uh places in europe where they're trying to get these people over because they know how important it is and by giving them free reign to raise money easily to set up exchanges because i mean we had you know we had an exchange built back in december that we just kind of had to sit on because we didn't have the licensing to put it up uh, and that's something a lot of the exchanges try to lobby for is to increase those barriers so that other companies can't compete. But you always want more competition for consumers to get the best end of the stick at the end of the day. So you mentioned that the United States is kind of lagging behind a little bit in the, the progress towards cryptocurrency. Do you see this? Uh, do you see parallels to the space race of the 60s? But this time, instead of leading the charge like the U.S. did, the U.S. is playing catch up or they're just apathetic towards the concept? I think the Russians feel like it's the next space race. I mean, you had, I believe, uh, I'm not sure what his position was, but there was a one of the cabinet members, I guess not cabinet, one of the high level ranking officials in Russia said blockchain will belong to Russia. And that's sort of their mindset. And a lot of the developers who are coming out uh, and doing contract work for blockchain are based in Russia. They have great developers. Uh, they don't have as much of an infrastructure technology technological infrastructure as the US so they can more easily, uh, I think, adapt to newer technology than having to reset all of the old stuff. And there's less pushback from, you know, existing business, existing corporations that stand to lose a lot of money if it is implemented. So there's less lobbying on that side. And that's certainly something I worry about. I think we need to be cognizant of what's happening. And I think this could eventually lead to a point where a lot of international business is being conducted in cryptocurrency, which means, you know, we lose the power of having the dollar being essentially the standard for most commerce. Uh, and we also, I guess, lose our ability to 
use certain measures like sanctions to influence how some of our allies act. So, you know, Russia putting out a crypto ruble or Venezuela putting out um, the Petro, a lot of that is to avoid sanctions because they can essentially conduct business outside the purview of international law and government. So it, would it be safe to say that cryptocurrency is a relatively democratic and by, I mean, small d democratic approach to financial transactions anywhere in the world? Absolutely. I mean, if you are, ironically, if, if you hate big business, I mean, crypto really is the place for you because you're tackling these incredibly complex organizations that have stagnated because uh, they're not adopting any new approaches to increase efficiency. So the less of a middleman there is between you and the end product, between um, whatever you're buying online or whatever you're doing, uh, I guess voting, I think, is also a great example. So when we talk about blockchain and voting, I hope someday we'll implement a system where, you know, everyone has their phone, they're implementing face ID. I think it's going to be pretty easy to make the argument that it might be just as secure to vote on your phone as voting at the polls. And you can do it all on a blockchain. You can have people tied in uh, with their socials, things like that. And by that measure, you can have a mass participation in things like even bill votes. So you could have, you know, all of the members in a congressional district get a notification and get to weigh in before their representative uh, votes on a bill. And I think that's that's an interesting direction that things could be taken in. I'm not sure if there's enough willingness to do so on their part, but I hope someday that this will solve the problem in the sense that so many people are so frustrated with government. And so they go out and they walk and they protest. Um, but you can hopefully affect real change eventually and get people involved in a way where they don't feel powerless because they have the opportunity to contribute, to give their ideas and uh, be recognized for them. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Today, I've had an opportunity to have a conversation and to learn quite a bit from the co-CEO of Cryptoconomy, Mark Kalabian. Mark, thanks so much. This has really been a pleasure. I hope I have a chance to talk to you again soon. Yeah, anytime. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.